0: Hey, Michelle, how's it going?
1: Hi, Devin. Good. (laughs) How are
0: you? I'm great. Uh, Michelle was, uh, we were in school together, and let's see if I can find it right here. Uh, I don't know if you guys can see that, or if you're just listening to the audio version, maybe it's this arm. Oh, yeah. You see that right there? (laughs) Or whatever? That's a rug burn uh, from me and Michelle fighting on the carpet. (laughs) I (laughs) I don't remember the context of why we were fighting, but me and Michelle had a some pretty good fights in our day um (laughs) i do have
1: a bruise too on my knee
0: yes that's right michelle you uh we uh, did damage to each other so (laughs) uh we were really good friends and i uh i'm very excited to have you on the podcast so thank you for joining us um sure absolutely i uh i kind of want to just start the podcast with um some unfortunate news uh I made a video about this on my YouTube channel yesterday and I want to spend a little bit of time today talking about it. But today is Sunday, um, March 27th. We're filming this and on Friday, one of the people that when I me and Michelle went to Mauna Loa helicopters together, but we were at different times. And one of the students that I was there with, um, she actually passed away in a helicopter accident on Friday and we found out over the course of Friday night and yesterday. Um, we don't want to speculate about what happened yet, but it just it really hits close to home knowing that all of my friends, all of these people that we know in the aviation industry, it, it could happen to any one of us. Um, and we're so comfortable with what we do, and we've been doing it for years, and we learn really in-depth about accidents and things that can happen, especially in Robinson helicopters. And then... Things like this can happen. So, you know, um, Michelle expresses this, all of us, but our thoughts and feelings are with, um, the person's family, uh, and everyone involved. It's, it's always tragic when it happens, especially when it's so, when it's so close. Um, and we're going to know people within the industry who pass. It's, it's just bound to happen. Um, so, you know, we, we take care of each other. We have good times. We fight on the carpet, um, and we just you know it's a small tight knit community, so we uh, we're thinking about that person, um, and we're thinking about each other. Uh but Michelle, without getting uh without getting too much into uh the sad stuff, um I don't want to speculate about what happened in the accident, but it's kind of a good time for us to to talk about Robinson helicopters. So in America uh, there's a couple different he- big helicopter companies that people do their training in. Number 1 definitely Robinson. And then you've got like Instrum, Cabri, or Cabri is coming up. Um Schweizer is a big one. Is anyone else I'm missing any other types? Uh
1: um, no, I think you got the main ones.
0: Okay. So, yeah, we do all of our most people do the training oh, I think Robinson by far is the number one Uh, helicopter that we do training in Um, talk to me about your journey into helicopters so a little bit about yourself where you're from and I know you did some training in other helicopters I think before you started really flying robinsons or that so talk to me about that
1: okay so I'm from Sweden and um, I grew up in a restaurant family not uh, connected to um, aviation at all uh, but yeah, I, um, I basically started working super early with restaurants and, um, whenever I was going to pick high school, my, um, my initial thought was to do, um, cause in Sweden you pick your program for high school. So if you want to be a carpenter, you can do carpenting school. If you want to do further studies, uh, like later on, you um, pick more academic studies, Uh, but I wanted to do restaurant, and my mom and dad said that, you know, you can do whatever you want, except restaurant. (laughs) And uh, so I was like, okay, what am I gonna do? And um, I was watching Elle MacBeal when I was younger, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's this um, woman in Boston, she's working as a lawyer, so I was like, oh, that sounds fun, that looks fun, so I'm going to do academic studies, I have good grades, I'm going to do that. And um, then in high school, at some point, I was helping out my parents with, um, like, I had to go to the lawyer for some paperwork, and I went to this law firm, and it looked super boring. <laughs> I was like, okay, maybe not that. And at the time, I also had um, my godmother, her two daughters were working as flight attendants. And I was looking up to them a lot. So I was like, oh, that looks like they're having the time of their lives. Also, my parents, when they were young, they um, traveled a lot. So I always wanted to travel. And um, But then I was also like, I don't know if I want to work as a flight attendant. And about the same time, I also saw this in the newspaper. It was about this girl in Sweden. She was 21 years old. And um, she was the youngest one flying like a big jet aircraft, fixed-wing aircraft. So I was like, oh, that sounds fun. Um, so I was just thinking that, yeah, oh, I'm going to be a pilot. And, But I didn't really feel stressed about it. I still want to live my life and travel and make money uh, because I knew that I couldn't afford pilot school. So I traveled all over and... Um, then when I was 22 years old, I was like, okay, I better start studying now. And um, I went with my my dad to take a um, discovery flight in a fixed wing, and I was sold. I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And at the school, they had like it was like an open day for everybody who wanted to do discovery flights, and they also had a psychiat- psychiatrist at the um, at the place. And in Sweden, you have to take an aptitude test before you start pilot school. So she told us about this aptitude test, and that was kind of the first step to know if you were even fit to become a helicopter pilot. So I I was like, okay, I'm going to go do that. And I'm from Gothenburg in Sweden. So um, And the aptitude test you could only do in Stockholm. So... Whenever I booked that time to go and do that test, I brought my best friend with me, and the whole experience when we went there was just so much fun because we went on this train ride and we bought, you know, last-minute tickets, super cheap, and the the host of the train or whatever you call it uh, came up to us and they, she was like, "Well, yeah, are you the, girls are in yeah, the wrong seat." I, I know what you said. Yeah. Uh, Your girls are in the wrong seat. We're like, okay. And she showed us the way to first class. So we're like, oh, this is cool. We got first class. Then we came to Stockholm, uh, to the hotel where we were staying. And they upgraded us to um, uh, a suite, like top suite. And with like our own sauna and everything. We're like, this is is going good. Um, Went out and did a bunch of things like the night before and everything was just you know like we passed the Tivoli and they were like oh it's a, it's free entrance today so everything was just working out super good and the day after i went to take this appetite test and i passed and then i met my best friend after the test and she was looking at me and she was like wait Michelle did you did you wear that that shirt because I had like a button shirt so she, she was like well, did you wear that on your um, aptitude test and I was like yeah yeah why and she was like well it's inside out
0: <laughs> so, Oh my
1: god! <laughs> so she was like oh you passed this aptitude test but you don't know how to dress yourself <laughs> so um yeah so that was the start of it and um I didn't really know how to finance pilot school but I'm I was kind of like, well, it's, I just had to figure it out. So I worked a lot to save money. And at the same time, I asked my grandmother if I could lend money from her. So she said, yeah, sure. Um, and then during this time where I was saving money and I kind of like rented out my apartment and the thing was fixed wing school. It was part in Sweden, part in San Diego. And I've been a lot traveling a lot, so I was like, "Oh, San Diego, that's perfect. I have relatives that live there. I can live with them. I can do this pilot school." And um, then, right when I left, my grandmother had a stroke, and we had no papers signed, nothing. So we had to have a legal guardian for her. And um, this, um, we were like, "Oh, of course, I will get approved to lend money from my grandma because I'm her only grandchild." And it's just a loan. But they wouldn't let me lend the money. So I started pilot school in San Diego, but I um, had to go home. And I rented out my apartment. I quit my job. I had to move back with my my dad. And I was like, okay, I don't know what to do now, because I was so focused on doing this pilot thing. So I um, actually started as a flight attendant. And when I was, um, and then I got the job as a flight attendant, had a lot of fun, and I figured I at least get to be in the industry. So I worked there, trying to save some money, trying to figure everything out. And um, then I realized that this is probably not for me, (laughs) because I want to fly more hands-on. I don't want to fly a big aircraft. So then I was kind of stuck again. I didn't know what to do, and I had one of my um, co-workers, she was dating a helicopter pilot, and she told me that, oh, what about helicopters? And I had never thought about it, because we don't, the helicopter industry in Sweden isn't that big. So I was like, well, that sounds like fun, but it's going to cost even more money. So um, I was kind of like dialed into helicopters, but didn't know how to figure it out. And they started a, um, the Swedish government decided to fund 14 spots for pilots, for helicopter pilots. So, um, I did like everything I could do in order to pass the test because they had a bunch of tests. So, um, I was just, you know, sitting at home doing, I am actually bought like a small little simulator, sat at home, flew the sim, um, had my boyfriend, he was asking me a bunch of questions to like try to stress me out at the same time as I was doing a bunch of other things. So I did that, and I got one of the spots in 2017. So this was five years later. Yeah. And so then I started at a school in Sweden called Building, which is pretty much Swedish pilot education, and um, did my... Um, commercial rating there my it's called ATP frozen license so basically all the ATP uh, tests but it's not going to get released until I have my hours then um, I finished there in 2019 and in Europe it's more of when you nobody wants to hire you when you're a new pilot I finished my commercial I had like 130 hours so then I was thinking about the U.S. again because in, in Europe you start as a ground crew and you do that for three to five years and then you might get to fly. And I was 29 at this point and I was like, no, I, I already waited for so long to get to fly. Now I just want to do it. So I um, looked into the U.S. and I've been in touch with a company Because in Sweden, you had to do an internship at the same time. So I talked to this company in Los Angeles about doing an internship. And uh, they said, yeah, yeah, sure, you can come here. But we'd rather see that you're doing your CFI license, because that way we can hire you. I started looking into that. And um, then I realized that I can't get a visa to work in the U.S., unless I go to a school that is approved. And there was only two schools in the U.S. One was in Oregon, and one was Manaloa in Hawaii. So I decided to go to Hawaii. And, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that is, uh, I've got, I, di- I didn't want to interrupt, but I've got, <laughs> so, I've got so many questions. Um, first off, uh, just because we're in the aviation field and it's cool, talk to me a little bit about being a flight attendant, and what was that like?
1: It was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. Um, I think it's kind of like something in between, you know, being in a restaurant and being a pilot. Because you're in aviation, but you're still, you know, serving people. And I was working for a charter airline, which is most people that fly charter, they are going on vacation. So they're all happy, most of them. And um, people that work as a flight, as flight attendants are usually very flexible. You know, you don't see problems, you see solutions. And there's also a lot of, you know, things that can go wrong. And most of it was medical things. Um, but you know, being on top of it the whole time, being drilled to do all those different emergency procedures. Um, so it was a lot of fun. We got really close. So,
0: yeah, I mean, uh, if you uh, just look at Michelle's Instagram, she uh, she'll tag it at the end. Um, but you go look at her uh, Instagram, and you can see that she she obviously had a great time um, while you were uh, in flight school in Sweden. Talk to me about your experience in flight school there, because uh, a couple of weeks ago I had Christina on, who is from Denmark, and but she did all of her training in America. So even though she's from uh, a Nordic country. We had that conversation. Um, she uh, did all of her training in America. But talk to me about what it was like doing training in Sweden. What were you flying? What did your day look like? Does it kind of look how, like how flight school looks in America?
1: No. Um, so we, um, we flew Robinson's as well, mostly. Uh, so I flew the R-22, most of my hours. Then I flew the R forty four for my night currency, and then I'm rated on the EC one twenty. So I flew my last twenty hours in the Eurocopter. And-
0: well, let me ask why. What uh, what's the purpose of it? Because uh, it's more expensive. There's no benefit to you. I mean, it's a cool experience, but it's not. It doesn't help you get to where you want to be. Really, it's only twenty hours and. You only have hundred and thirty total, so
1: mm-hmm.
0: it, yeah. it, to me, it sounds like a scam.
1: <laughs> well, I didn't pay for it, so for me, I, I just took it. You know, it was.
0: Oh, it was, was it? Was this part of the government program where they yes. paid for the point two yeah. people? Mm-hmm. Oh shit, that's yeah. pretty sweet. So yeah, yeah. How was uh, what was it like flying uh the EC one twenty? Um, what was your experience like? What do you do? What maneuvers did they have you do?
1: Uh, I mean, I did all the maneuvers uh, that we trained on the Robinson as well, um, but no, I, I just remember now I haven't flown it in what is it three years, so uh, but I remember it being you know feeling super smooth. The most the hardest thing was to go from a anti clockwise uh, rotating main rotor to a clockwise one because yeah you're kind of like mechanically trained to have your left pedal. As your power pedal, and uh, so that was the hardest part. Also, we were always landing at this ramp, and when you land uh, with a Eurocopter, you kind of sit in front of the skids. So you had to open the door, kind of like look outside as you landed because you were sit in in front of it. So that was the hardest part, but it was super smooth. I, I really enjoyed it.
0: So you got so in terms of ESA. What ratings do you have?
1: A commercial license.
0: Commercial and a restricted ATP? Yes. So, you, so when you go back, will your hours convert back? So if you do like uh, 2,000 hours here and then you go back to Sweden, do those hours directly convert?
1: Yes, yes they do.
0: Wow, that's a pretty good gig.
1: Yeah, but um, my instrument license won't convert. So I still need to do that one again. My hours count, but I still have to take IASA instrument license.
0: Okay, so you're going to have to do your instrument there. Now, how does it work there? So in America, we've got like uh, private commercial, CFI, then you build up your experience to like 2,000 hours or whatever, 1,500 or 2,000 hours, and then you can get into like the cool big turbine jobs. Um like flying 407s and whatever at 1,500 to 2,000-ish hours there. From what you know in Sweden, is it uh, a similar experience? Like do most people work as flight instructors? or And then how many hours do they need to do those cool jobs? And you said it's a pretty small market, so do those jobs even exist?
1: So I think it's very divided on how people work their way out. Uh, most of the people I know that have been um, taking their license for helicopters, most of them um, decided to do something else. Because it's a hard, it's harder there, I would say. Usually, um, some people, they take their um, instructor license, but in order to be an instructor in Europe, you have to have 250 hours. So it's a lot of hours to pay for before you can start instructing. And whether is. Usually not as good as it is, uh, you know, here in California or Hawaii. So the hours they take way longer to um, take way long to get through hours. Um, most people, I would say, would probably go do like ground crew work for three to five years, and they get to fly a little bit now and then. And then the company that has been hiring them, whenever they need a new pilot they would pick them first
0: usually so for from what I'm what I'm gathering from that is the american route or the the faa pathway to getting to the jobs you want is much more clear, much defined and honestly it sounds easier and faster is that yeah. how you feel yeah is and, that, and that's why you decided to do it
1: a little bit as you know people that go to the us they're cheating the system a little bit because we go we get our hours and I think a lot of people think that oh, you should go this hard route you know you should work in the industry for this amount of years and gain all this experience not flying and then you know you kind of earned it but yeah
0: yeah it does I mean <laughs> do what you do what you got to do now yeah to, so let's say let's say this all works out um You build up all your your hours here. If you do go back, are you on a, a green card right now?
1: No. So I'm on a visa, and I just applied to have it extended for another year.
0: And are you doing that through a company, or how are you doing that?
1: Yeah, well, partly I do it through the school. So first, you start off on a CPT. So whenever you finish your school, you are allowed to stay for a year on CPT. Then, if you work for a company and they sign a letter that you're working there towards your hours to become a licensed ATP pilot, um, you can apply for an extra year on OPT. It's called.
0: Okay, so uh, was is PT like practical training, some sort? Uh,
1: yes, yeah, I think so.
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, so some sort of practical training. So, yeah. how you're? Uh... You're almost done with your first year? Is that is that yeah. the right
1: timing? May. Mid May.
0: Okay. And do you know if your second year OPT has been extended?
1: No. Nope. I don't know.
0: When do you uh when do you find out? Or is it at the government's will?
1: Yeah. It's uh so yeah, I don't know at all. For Christina it went super fast. I think she found out in just a few weeks. They say that um, it can take up to ninety days to find out, but you can't apply, you know, earlier than ninety days before. So, um, and they say that usually takes about that time. So we'll so see. So
0: that that first uh, one year is that 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 one's through Mauna Loa and through the school, and then the second extension is through the company you work for. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. I no th- that makes sense. So. Mm-hmm. So you got to fly the EC-120 and then the Robinsons. And I kind of mentioned um, the the Robinson thing because, I mean, everyone knows that. I th- I actually think Robinsons are great helicopters. And, I mean, obviously, the European market, you guys use them as well. So they're a very large global company. Um, mm-hmm. And th- they are great helicopters. And um, they can be safe. You know, people do. Ten thousand hours in these helicopters with no problems, um, so they can be safe. What has your experience been, and have you have you had any trouble flying these helicopters? And uh, talk to me about your experience with that.
1: I mean, I I love flying Robinsons. I think they're super fun to fly, and um, I feel comfortable flying them. Um, I mean, there's going to be issues with all machines you fly. Um, issues I had, I, whenever I started working in California, I, um, I had a governor failure, like my first month working. Um, so that was, yeah. But I mean, if you know what to do, it's not a big issue. It's just flying without the governor. Um, I had
0: a, I had a governor fail on me as well during an auto.
1: It seems like it's super common yeah. because it happens all the time um but yeah, so, and then I also had um I had to land a helicopter one time um down at a parking lot on a tour that I did
0: oh on a tour <laughs> let's let's hear this yeah. story,
1: yeah, so um I was flying, I wasn't supposed to fly the tour that day, but um one of the people at the company called me and they were like, oh, we got this request for a tour. It's a one-hour tour and it's three people. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll take it. And um, I went out and I noticed, so I was flying that tour. Then I was supposed to fly another tour afterwards. So I put in full fuel because the people weren't that he- heavy. and But I had three people on board and me. And I noticed that whenever I was taking off, I was pulling a lot of, Power, a lot of manifold pressure, and um, I, I was noticing it, but I didn't really react too much because I knew that I was full fuel. It was a hot day, all that. Um, I was leaving the airspace. I was going to go into another airspace, and I called them up, and I didn't get a response. So I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm pretty early. Like, I'm just going to call them again. Call them again. I still I heard them. But they obviously didn't hear me. So I was like, oh, that's weird. I called him like four or five times.
0: <laughs> so you're going from like one sector to another sector. You're like trying yeah. to call approach or something.
1: Uh, I was just going to pass their airspace. So, so then they didn't answer. I was like, okay, I'm just going to stay outside their airspace for a little bit until then. Was end.
0: it, was it a Charlie or a Delta or a Bravo? Or it what?
1: was, um, it was a Delta. Okay. So, um, I just stayed outside and um, then they have split frequencies. So I, uh, I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll just try their other frequency because maybe they have some issues with their frequency. Uh, so I tried the other frequency and as I was switching to the outer frequency, I noticed that I got low rotor RPM. And at the same time as I got this low rotor RPM, I saw my engine tactics went all the way to the bottom. So, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I panicked there for a second. And, you know, Lord Collective, all that. Um, and then I noticed that I, I could still hear my engine. So I was like, well, I I have, I still have my engine. And then the tactics went up and down, up and down. And I was like, crap. <laughs> and so, you know, we have all these things where it is, you know, land, As soon as practical, land immediately. Now, if it's just a tack failure, you land as soon as practical. Um, But I also noticed, you know, I'm pulling a lot of power. I have low rotor RPM. I can't see my engine tack. And nobody hears me. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Um, And I I was about to, you know, I was right in an industrial area. I was about to go over the water. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to, you know, go out there. So I was like, you know, this is, you have so many thoughts and such a short amount of time. And, um, so I was thinking, you know, should I go back to the airspace where I was or should I go back to the other airspace? And I, you know, squawked and nobody contacted me and I tried to make the calls again and nobody did you
0: squawk? 7,600?
1: Yes. Um... Awesome. Nobody came back to me and I was like, okay, should I go into this airspace where they have, you know, like three runways, a lot of traffic, um, without, you know, and going there was a little bit of a, you know, flight as well. And I know that it's so congested in LA. So I knew I, I was flying there basically every day. So, um, I knew that there's no landing spots and I had this really big parking lot right below me. So, um, I just took the decision that, and I also, so I was actually at the Robinson course, just like a couple months earlier. And one of them pilots there told us, he was like, it's so funny with helicopters that, you know, you have an aircraft that can basically land anywhere, but still pilots decide not to land because, you know, they want to push it. So his words kind of echoed in my, in my ears. And, um, and so I was just thinking, okay, I'm just going to go down and land here. And so I told my passengers, I'm like, sorry, um, we're going to have to go down and land here. And, um, I don't think they really understood like what was happening. Um, so yeah, I went there down there and landed and, um, yeah, <laughs> but I was never, yeah, I was never really scared of flying the helicopter because we do so much training on it. I knew what to do in case my engine would fail, you no, know? Um but I was more scared of getting in trouble because I landed at somebody's property.
0: Yeah. So uh, what, what happened? So you landed and, th- and then what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I landed and I think my passengers, like I said, I don't think they know, they didn't understand what was happening really. So I think they were m- more bummed about not getting their tour. <laughs> Um, so, but the funny thing was that there was actually another helicopter in the area And he, um, he saw me And he saw that I was landing at this big parking lot I think it was, you know, a parking lot for um, big, um, like trailers and stuff Um, but because of COVID it was empty So he saw me landing there So he actually landed next to me (laughs) And, um then he asked me if um, he um, if I wanted some help with my passengers, he could bring them back to our airport. So and I was on the phone with my boss at the time, and I asked him like, "Can this guy?" And he so this industry is so small; everybody knows everyone. So he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I know that guy. He can he can fly them back home." So yeah, he flew them back home, and then he came down, back landed at me, and you know checked that I was okay. And the funny part was that this uh, place where I parked um, the helicopter was fenced. So it was a big fence around and it was somebody that was working in the um, like in a um, control building. And so I went there and um, I told him like, hey I I parked my helicopter over here. It was Sunday afternoon, nobody could come out. <laughs> so he was like, "We did what? So we had, I mean like there was three landings right outside where he sat and he didn't notice anything. So I was like, okay, you're, you're a really good guard. <laughs> yeah,
0: you're really guarding it, keeping yeah. it safe. <laughs>
1: yeah. But he didn't notice. Um, I heard they weren't very happy with me landing there, but you know, I'm, I don't know how it would have went if I didn't land. They ended up switching out both the Magnetos, the helicopter. Um, Yeah.
0: Is, is that what they thought? I mean, so okay, so it was, yeah, it was the magneto's that. Yeah. I mean, I guess if the magneto's are causing problems, I can understand the high manifold pressure, but why the and the low rotor RPM? That makes sense, mm-hmm. but why the loss of engine tack? Uh, that one doesn't make sense to me. So,
1: well, the the magneto is controlling the engine tack, right? So, so yeah, I think that was it. But yeah, it was just
0: uh yeah, the right yeah. magneto, yeah, or left, um, whatever.
1: It was just too many things mm. at one time. So, and you know, afterwards, I was kind of questioning myself, like, oh, should I have just gone to an airspace and landed there? You know, should I not? And you can always, you know, think like why or what if or should I? You know, but um, I did have one of my coworkers both my coworker, a guy from Robinson and, um, the mechanic, they all contacted me and they were like, you did the right thing. Like people can question your, your decision, but they were not in the situation. Yeah, so
0: yeah. Well, well, congratulations and a uh, great job. You know, Thank that, you. I, <laughs> I agree. That's, that's the right thing. Um, it's much better to land in a parking lot with all those indications, definitely, like, definitely 100% the right call. Land, I mean, and whatever that person told you at the Robinson Safety Course is true. You have a good working helicopter, and you can land a helicopter anywhere. So, uh, if you have that opportunity, why not? Um, let me ask you this. Why? What, what's your experience been flying in L.A.? Because I fly in New York City, um, which is... Very crazy airspace. What's uh? What's it like out there in LA?
1: No, oh, it's crazy here too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tell no, me about it.
1: Yeah. So um, I yeah, I knew that it was gonna be you know crowded. I don't think I was really prepared for it when I got here. I am. Um, yeah, I was. I remember my first flight, and I was so nervous. Um. It's so congested. It's um, you know so many airports, so many um, airspaces. But I think it made me such much better pilot.
0: Yeah. Well, talk to me. Talk to me actually about the airspace. So, um, is LAX the only Bravo out there?
1: Um, yes, it's the only Bravo up here in LA. There's a Bravo down in San Diego too.
0: Okay. So you have. The LAX Bravo, and then you have uh, some smaller airports, which are s- some Charlies, and then I'm sure you have yeah. some Deltas.
1: Yeah. So right now I fly out of a Charlie, uh, which is John Wayne Airport, and um, but most of the other airports are Deltas. So even Long Beach Airport is a Delta, which is a little bit weird because I mean they have three runways. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a lot
0: for a Delta.
1: Yeah, <laughs> still a Delta.
0: So yeah. So when you're, so let me ask you this, like when you're, let's say you're going on a cross country and you want flight following, do you contact, who, who do you, who do you contact? Do you contact LAX Bravo or do you contact the closest Charlie or is there an entire California approach radar team or something?
1: No, so we usually just, you know, pass the airports and just talk to the airport.
0: Oh, okay. So yeah. you don't get flight following? No. No. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, but it was crazy. No. So when I when I flew, so I've been flying for two companies here. When I flew for the first company, they were um, located right next to LAX. So we had, you know, our traffic pattern was a left traffic pattern. If we would have had a right traffic pattern, we would have been on our downwind inside Bravo. That's how close it was. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> so we had, you know, this tour that was super popular and it was a 45 minute tour. And it took us from, you know, um, Hawthorne Airport, then into Torrance, into Bravo, then into Santa Monica, then into a CTAF, then Burbank, then back to the CTAF, then Bravo again, and then back to Hawthorne, which was in Delta. So it was, you know, nine nine different airspaces in, you know, 45 minutes. So a lot of radio calls.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't... Uh, New York is, New York's crazy, but I don't think we have that much uh, repetition or, yeah, we don't switch that commonly. So I bet, I bet.
1: Or Sweden, where you have like, you know, one tower and that's, (laughs) that's the reason. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And I I bet you feel uh, very comfortable on the radios now, huh?
1: I do. I did not do in the beginning. I mean, so
0: let me, uh, you have, you have your CF double eye, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so what is your proportion of instruction versus tours? Um, If you had to say how many, like what what percentage?
1: So the first company I worked for was mostly tours. They were located like right in LA and a lot of tourists. And even, you know, a lot of people that live in LA that just want to see LA and all the tourist attractions from above. Uh, So that was majority tours. Now, I work down at John Wayne, which is down in Orange County. And for sure, majority students now.
0: Yeah, so mostly flight instruction?
1: Yeah. We do have a few tours now and then, but not that many.
0: What made you, um, because I I was pissed off because I know you interviewed at my company, Mm -hmm. and I was trying to get you to come here. Uh, what made you, uh, what made you choose California? why did you want to go? Cause I knew, I, I think I knew you wanted to be there. So what made you go out to the West coast?
1: Yeah. So it was a really hard decision to not come to independent helicopters because, <laughs> you know, I knew that you and Christina were there and I really liked the vibe I got from them. So, um, but it was, you know, Ever since, you know, this whole long trip I started, you know, in 2012 when I started, you know, fixed wing school in San Diego, I was kind of, you know, I, I had decided that I wanted to fly in California. And then um, whenever I was going to do my internship, I went to California first because I figured California has, you know, good weather all the time, which warm weather, which we don't have in Sweden. Um, they have the ocean. They have... The mountains, you know, it's easy to travel everywhere here. You can go to Vegas, you know, you can fly there in 15 minutes or, you know, drive there for three to four hours. Palm Springs, you know, like, there's just so much here that I really wanted to experience. So Yeah, uh, but you
0: have to live in LA.
1: Yeah, well, I'm kind of moved from LA and now I live in Orange County. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, but yeah, so that was probably the decision for me too. I just really always dreamed about living in California.
0: Yeah, you uh you seem like a California girl. Like yeah. it fits. Um <laughs> Uh w- no, now that you're actually in it, um how many hours do you have right now? Uh
1: so I passed six hundred last week.
0: Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. So what do you want to do? Where do you see your future? Um I, obviously, you have another year, probably in California or whatever. Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that that works out. Um, where do you see yourself? What do you want to do?
1: So, um, my long term goal is to fly EMS. But I right now I'm just you know trying to enjoy myself. I'm not in a hurry. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I want my hours. I want my hours super fast, and they do anything. I really want to enjoy myself as I'm doing this. That's the whole reason I picked flying helicopters is because it's fun. I don't want to, I want to keep it fun. So I'm um, just going to enjoy my time in the US for hopefully another year. And then to do EMS in Sweden, it's um, usually they want you to have some instrument experience and also to um, been flying more turbine helicopters so i will probably you know i'm hoping to get a job maybe flying oil rigs in norway for a little while and then maybe ems in the future
0: so uh well i actually didn't know norway had a big oil rig thing well i don't know if it's big yeah. or yeah there's a big market out there mm-hmm. yeah um and are they flying what type of helicopter are they flying out there
1: they fly still Korskis.
0: Oh, nice! Yeah. Okay. So,
1: one of our instructors in um, in Sweden was actually working for them.
0: Oh, nice! Yeah. Um, what? So, you're just a, I mean, we get our not that it's easy, but we we get our CFI relatively easy here in the U.S. Is it? Would you say it's like equally easy to get your CFI in EASA? And do most people want to be CFIs because it's it's pretty much like it's almost mandatory at this point in yeah. the helicopter world to have your CFI. Yeah,
1: so I'm I I don't think I'm gonna take my CFI in Sweden. I don't have my CFI there or in Europe. Um, I heard it's easier to take your CFI there, uh, you, it's required more hours. But I heard the CFI training is not that hard. But I never done it, so I'm not sure.
0: Um, yeah, I don't think yeah, exactly. It's, like, um, yeah. Let me Oh, sorry. Um when you when you decide that you want to so after you do your one more year here in the US if it gets approved are you going to try to figure out an, a way to stay here or are you going to try to go back to Sweden? I going uh, to go
1: back to Sweden. So my initial plan was only to stay in the US for a year. And but then, you know, you start and time passes so fast and i i'm just not done here <laughs> but i do have my family back home i have um uh, my friends you know my um boyfriend wants to um, move back home as well he has his job back in sweden so yeah i think i'm going to head back home after my second year
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, so i i'm just i'm just really trying to uh, dissect dissect it here when you let's say that you do another year here if you're at 600 hours maybe at that point you'll be at i mean if you can fly I another mean, 600 now, to a thousand hours yeah. this year how what what are you going to do when you get back there are you going to continue with i mean i assume you're going to keep doing helicopters are you going to have enough hours to find a job there or what's that going to look like
1: yeah so the the thousand hour mark is a is a big one and yeah, now I'm actually accumulating my hours pretty fast. So, um, yeah, I think, well, I'm definitely going to have to start doing my instrument rating there in order to get one of those jobs. So that's going to be the first step. And I'm hoping that they need more pilots for EMS. They, they've they been talking about, you know, they have a lot of people that are retiring both like ems uh, search and rescue all that so um i hope i'm just having good timing and can get a job if not i i mean i could always fall back to um, instructing again
0: yeah yeah so you'll you'll have enough hours to figure it out and you you have figured it out that's how you've gotten this far um now this is kind of like just like an open-ended question and um What has it been like being, from your experience, being a female in the helicopter pilot industry? What was it like out there in Sweden? And then when you went to school and now, um, have you noticed a... Has it been a good experience or a bad experience? And kind of just speak on that.
1: Um, So, um, it's actually a little bit weird because I think being a female pilot in the U.S. is... Better than in Sweden, then- and it's a little bit weird because Sweden wants to be so equal in everything. You no, know, like equal salaries, equal equal opportunity, all that. But I feel like helicopter business in Europe is not hasn't come as far as in um, the US. I never really, you know, felt it didn't feel different to be a female pilot in the US compared to a male pilot. I didn't really notice anything weird. In Sweden, though, it was kind of like, you know, to be a pilot, you have to prove yourself. You have to be tough. You have to be... <sighs> yeah, I, a lot of girls that starts in the industry, they, it feels like they want to prove that they're not that girly. They want to be like, oh, yeah, I go out and I do all these manly things all the time. That's my hobbies, you know, just to prove themselves. I had um, experience, so as I was in school, in ground school in Sweden was more like lecture. So it wasn't one-on-one training. It was us sitting in a classroom and we had, um, you know, a teacher. And um, while I was in ground school, you know, I wasn't former flight attendant i loved walking in my heels no maybe not stilettos but you know like winter heels and i remember
0: i got what wait hold on what
1: yeah when we were flying but like when we did ground school
0: no no no, wait hold on i'm talking about the winter heels part what the hell is a winter heel
1: (laughs) i mean like there's difference between heels and heels you know you can have stilettos or you can have you know Know, winter shoes with a higher heel.
0: <laughs> okay, you know, I I guess I never I I think I've I think I've probably seen that. My mom probably has a pair of yeah, those. Probably. Well, okay. Yeah. I uh I've uh I've never heard of winter heels. Sorry. Okay, keep going. Uh, yeah. I don't know where that story was going, but keep going. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I remember I got a comment one time like, "Oh, you're walking in heels, and so you're a pilot." Like, and that just pissed me off a little bit because I was like, well, I'm going to wear whatever I want to wear. No, I'm not. Just because I'm a pilot, I don't have to dress like a man, you know? Um, So that was one thing. I also got a comment from a guy in the industry and he said, you know, Michelle, you should probably not tell people that you used to work as a flight attendant. It doesn't look good. It doesn't sound good. And I was like, what? Like, this is, yeah, it just made me even more want to, you know, be girl.
0: Why? What was what was his point with that? That doesn't I don't even make know. sense. No,
1: I think you know, it's just you as a pilot. In order to make it, you have to prove that you're not girly. You have to prove that you're capable. And I don't know. It's kind of backwards. I didn't yeah. expect it to be like that. It wasn't like that when I was working as a flight attendant. When I was a flight attendant, pilots that I was working with uh, on the airlines, they were always, you know, I got to go into the cockpit. I got to ask them about all these questions. They were very supportive. They helped me a lot during, like, they still helped me a lot. Um, But, um, yeah, it was weird. Helicopter industry in Sweden is, um, yeah, I think we, they need to work on it a little bit more.
0: Yeah, and, yeah, America is very, uh, I think, Far along with that, and the leaders with equality in that sense yeah. and maybe because
1: you it's so many more I mean the industry here is so much bigger than it is there, so yeah yeah
0: it is uh now this is like this is kind of like the backwards to that the reverse what what is it like as a male flight attendant in Sweden is that a thing is there discrimination against that is it looked as a weird thing or was that normal
1: mm, I mean <laughs> The majority of the male um, flight attendants were um, gay, um, but it was also, you know, we still had, um, you know, non-gay <laughs> male flight attendants. And uh, but I think, you know, the people in that industry, they're so open, open-minded. They are, they are not scared to talk about, you know being gay, not being gay, you know, how it's, I think, you know, it's just, yeah, very laid back industry. So,
0: um, yeah. Well, and that's actually really interesting. Um, I worked in, I don't know if, let me ask you this, because this is like my podcast and I'm allowed to talk whatever I want. Uh, (laughs) I, my experience in helicopters, I mean, not that I've been doing it all that long we and me and you have been doing it a relatively similar time period i haven't encountered i don't think i've ever met another uh, male not another but a, a gay pi- a gay helicopter pilot seems like it's very uh i don't know if it's taboo or if it's just i haven't run into it yet but it's not it, i don't know if it matches the general population what do you what do you think about that
1: yeah i when you say it i haven't either actually so, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of um, female ones, but never yeah. male ones. Yeah. There was also a lot of um, male flight attendants that were pilots that just wanted to get a job. And as they were trying to get a pilot job, they would work as flight attendants as well.
0: Okay. So it was kind of no, up. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, But let's talk about Michelle for a little bit. What do you like outside of aviation? What a... What do you like to do? Uh, how do you... Because I, I like to ask this question because I don't think any of us really can. Because, like, look at my Instagram pilot is... Or my Instagram uh, handle is pilot devin. Your Instagram handle is Miss MissAviatrix. Like, all of us are always so aviation-focused. Like, everything is aviation, aviation, aviation. How do you separate yourself from aviation and what do you like outside of it?
1: I mean, I, I don't feel like I have to separate myself from aviation because I'm, I'm kind of aviation, you know, like I worked four years in aviation and the people I worked with, they became my, a lot of my close friends, kind of like a family. Same thing with the helicopters. I mean, it's such a small industry. I thought that, you know, working as a flight attendant, that was a small industry. I was working in Norway, Denmark. I went over to Finland sometimes and, you know, I don't know how many people were working there, but a couple of hundreds and everybody knew everybody. Then I came into the helicopter world and I realized that this is tiny. Like even in America, I was one time it hit me. I was flying and um, I was doing a tour and I was outside of, I was just over Hollywood and uh, it's a seat half there. So it's an open frequency and I was talking, I was making a radio call and then I hear another helicopter and he's like, is this Michelle? They're <laughs> so like, what are the odds that I'm, you know, from Sweden, I did my training in Hawaii, and I'm flying in Hollywood, and somebody recognized me on the radio.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I uh, I, I had the exact same thing happen yesterday. I was going to an airport uh, with a, a CTAF, and there was an airport on the other side of the camp. Uh, no, just, well, some random airport. And they were like, hey, is that Devin? And I was like, who is that? And they're like, oh, it's just me. And it's like, it's it's such a small community that, I mean, you just, yeah, just by recognizing voices and seeing pictures, we mm-hmm. all know each other. And that's, I mean, when I think about um, our friend that passed away um, the other day, it, it's a really small community. You know, we, I, we were roommates, um, and she went to school with me and then she was working out she had a couple different jobs after school so I mean by the time you've been doing this a couple years a lot of people know you like in the industry you've most people know you um, which is really cool but one thing like it, it's really sad because it's so small but also one thing you have to be careful with and just be mindful of is not to burn any bridges um, because the person that i don't know we went to school together and maybe two years from now you're working at a company or you're like the ceo of a company and i come and ask you for a job so that's why we don't want to speak bad yeah. um behind yeah. each other's back uh yeah. well and, and-
1: also something that they told me right when i started school in sweden they were like think about this this is a small industry and whoever your classmates with now could be your former boss or, you know, like, could be the one that gives you a reference for a really good job.
0: So. Yeah, and that's... Uh, I, we, won't, we won't speak names, but uh, there was someone that, I think, went to the same school as you, and then uh, she... It's a she. She also went to Mauna Loa, and uh, leaving behind a trail of... Uh, thoughts on people and if you are a bad egg your name spreads like wildfire uh so anyone that's listening or watching getting into this industry just be a good person and be kind and just know that your name um whether it's good or bad is going to spread to the masses
1: it really will yes um you know
0: it's yeah go ahead
1: also you know I know to to make it in the industry, it's all about you know. Oh, I want to get my hours. I want to you know, all that, and it's all good. But you're gonna get there. Like, don't don't stress it too much. I think I'm that's right. a that's a that's a great point. Yeah. When
0: uh, it's so, so hard, you hard when you're in high school, for
1: people to get where you want to be. You know, if you're a cool person, you're gonna get there anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's actually a great point because, I mean, you need your hours and that's important too, but even if you have less, someone, let's say you've got like 2,000 hours, if you have two applicants that have 2,000 hours, but you have good relationships with people in the industry and someone can say, oh, hey, this is Michelle, she's really good, Um, I heard from a friend that she's awesome, your name gets put to the top of the pile, you know, Um, so...
1: I, I honestly think that that's how I got into the pilot school in Sweden because whenever, well, it was a bunch of tests. So, um, but it was also a interview. And, uh, when I was doing the interview, it was actually one of the, um, uh, chiefs of the EMS that was handling the interviews. And, uh, I came in, I sat down and he was looking at my paperwork that I had to fill out. And, um, I had to mention like some references and he was looking through them. And it was some of my, it was actually one of the pilots that I was working with at the airline and they knew each other. And I was like, I didn't know who was going to interview me. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. And I didn't know that they knew each other. So he was like, Oh, you know, this guy. And we started talking about it and you know, it's so small. (laughs) If somebody, (laughs) yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like just, uh, just be, just be mindful of that. So, Michelle, how old are you?
1: I'm 31, turning 32 this year. When's your birthday? July.
0: Okay, so you got your 32nd birthday coming up. Do you think you're going to be flying helicopters forever? Is this, uh, is this what you want to do?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, 31. yeah, but you no, know, you never, you never know. But yeah, hopefully. I hope so. Yeah,
0: exactly. The reason the reason I say that is just because um, I think personally for me I love flying helicopters and I want to do it for the foreseeable future but I can always, I think there's, I don't know if monogamous, you know how like you're supposed to be with one person the rest of your life mm-hmm. I think with, at least with jobs, I think you should do a bunch of different things and I have the desire to do a bunch of things I want to go back before we kind of wrap it up, I want to go back to the question that I asked you what do you like outside of when you're not flying helicopters or not thinking about helicopters, what are you doing?
1: Um, I I love traveling, obviously. Um, and I love experiencing. So, going on hikes. I love food. I, I grew up in restaurant family. So, I, I love going, eating out. And just, you know, I like being surrounded by friends. So, yeah. That's me. Yeah. I am weak. I mean, I I used to play soccer, too. I love being active. And we, you know, we went in Hawaii and played some soccer, played some football.
0: I think, (laughs) uh, so I love being friends with you on uh, Snapchat and Instagram because uh, one of the greatest and funniest things I will ever remember about you, Michelle, is um, you and our friend Agnes, you two had this big golden chrysler minivan and uh what did you what did you call her betty or something (laughs) yeah so betty was uh betty was falling apart on the side of the road and michelle uh you guys found a mechanic somehow and (laughs) you you would always post videos of you taking this car to the mechanic and uh one of the nice things, I don't know if this is sexist to say, but being a pretty girl, you got all, I, I think you got like some, some help with the maintenance, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it was funny because I remember one time I was actually, so we had bought the car and we had some issues and I um, I just got smoke all out from the engine and I didn't know what was happening and um, I stopped at a parking lot and... The guy that was outside the parking lot, he showed up to be a mechanic, so he helped me out. And then we had some other issues with him, uh, with the car. So I drove there one time, and I was actually on my way to get my safety done on the way back.
0: So, the safety inspection, right?
1: Yeah. So for it to be, you know, drivable. So <laughs> I was on my way there. And as I was driving there, I was probably speeding, you know, and I was texting at the same time.
0: Jesus Christ. And,
1: yeah. So yeah, which you shouldn't do, you know, but, um, <laughs> so yeah, I was doing that. And then I, we didn't have a back mirror. <laughs> Just the back mirror had fallen down. So, and I had this cop behind me. And so I started seeing those, you know, blue flashing lights. And in Europe, you know, you don't stop in the middle of the highway. You kind of wait until your next, um, your next road that you can drive out on. So I kind of like looked out and I was like, okay. So I waited till I could drive off the road and the cop came and he stopped me and he, um, he was like, so how come you didn't stop? And I was like, Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like, okay, so I had to show my driver's license and all that. And then he was like, okay. And I told him like, Oh, I'm, I'm on my way to safety. Um, so, he just looked at our paperwork, and then he left. And I remember you texted me, and you were like, what did you get stopped for? <laughs> like, I don't know, because I was speeding, I was texting, and I didn't have, you know, my safety done. <laughs> so, I don't know. But.
0: Jesus Christ, <laughs> Michelle. You, uh, was- well, you know what? Good job. I'm glad you got away with it. <laughs> was- um, but... The point, the point I was making is, uh, you had that funny car, but I like being friends with you because you're always on vacations, um, or experiences and adventures, and now you have this, this little red car that you and Andy drive around, and you guys are doing all sorts of crazy trips up and down. Oh, and didn't you recently do a big cross-country in the helicopter um, with, uh, with your company or something?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I actually had a friend in Arizona... That, um, he, um, so we were just like Instagram friends and, um, he told me about this helicopter that he was buying and it was, you know, um, Briley, um, who has, um, the, um, dog Bentley, the bulldog. And he was, oh
0: yeah, that, that helicopter pilot. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So he was selling his helicopter and my friend was going to buy it. Uh, but my friend didn't have a license, so he was like, well, um, I need somebody that can help me out, fly it back home to Arizona. And he was going to buy it off Canada, and then Briley was going to fly him over to Seattle, um, but then he didn't have a pilot. So he asked me, and he had also asked one of his other friends that had you know, a lot of experience in helicopters, and I've just gotten to California. I've been working here for like three months maybe. So I was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to fly by myself and a student all the way from Seattle down to Arizona. So um, I kind of said like, oh, it's nice if this other guy can come along as well. Um, but we, um, so he just texted me like the night before, I think, like, oh, our paperwork just finished. Um, uh, if you want to come to Seattle tomorrow. So I just booked the trip and um, I flew it back. So it was, like- By yourself? Uh, no, so it was, uh, it was me, him, and then another pilot. So it took us three days. So it was kind of nice being three people.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, that's like a lot of brains and a lot of, yeah, a lot of aviation uh, yeah. and people that can. it
1: was can- fun because we were, so this other pilot, he, they were flying out of Arizona. And it's, you know, high density, all those mountains. So we were flying in Sedona um, by all the mountains there. It was super cool.
0: Yeah, oh, <laughs> I thought I thought that was it. But how many uh so it was 3 days and uh how much flight time did you get out of that?
1: Uh, I got about 12 hours myself.
0: Nice. Yeah. 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 So it was like what 12 24 36 36 hours of flight time?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. no, probably um, like 24 maybe. Oh, so
0: you flew a lot of it.
1: Yeah, because the other guy was a student. So he I see.
0: All right. Yeah. Well, um, Michelle, I can't. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, shout yourself out. Shout out your uh, your Instagram because <laughs> it's very aesthetic and it's very pretty. Give it a shout out. Thank
1: you. Well, it's Miss Aviatrix, So ms.aviatrix dot
0: with an X. How you can't? So you oh, spell no. Ms but not <laughs> aviatrix? Spell it.
1: Ms dot a. Wait, I have to think. Avi. T R I X.
0: Um, what is how'd you come up with that name? What does aviatrix mean?
1: So an, a male aviator is an aviator, uh, but a female aviator is an aviatrix. So oh. I tried to have the aviatrix, but um, it, somebody already had it. And then I was thinking, well, aviatrix with an X is cool, and that was already taken. And my former Instagram name was Miss Michelle or something like that, MS. So, I was like, okay, I'm just going to be Miss Aviatrix then. So, yeah,
0: That's pretty cool. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a very uh, recognizable Instagram name. Yeah. So, everyone... All my,
1: uh, all my um, former classmates, they, they had like heli, you know, something. Everybody was heli something. And I was like, well, I'm not just heli because I also like airplanes, even though I prefer helicopters. I did work as a flight attendant, so I'm more of an aviatrice.
0: Would you you consider getting your fixed-wing stuff?
1: Um, I've been thinking about it, and um, I mean, if maybe, but I was flying with one of my students. Um, Her dad owns a bunch of airplanes, and I actually got to fly a little bit with him. And um, I thought it was a little bit scary now when I started flying airplanes again, because you don't you don't see anything, you know? Like, everything is covered so much. It's not like a helicopter where you see every little inch that you're doing. Um, but, I mean, airplanes are cool, too. Um, I I don't think I need it, but yeah. maybe for the fun of it. Would you?
0: Yeah. I, I had the exact same experience when I got, like, a Cessna 152 or, or 172 or 182 even. That's a scary airplane because, like, taxing, you can't see anything. Take off. I mean, the whole time, you can't see anything. Like, you're just looking at the sky. And now I'm spoiled, like, in the helicopter because I can see everything always. And um, also, if I have an engine failure, I can just set it down anywhere. I feel... I mean, obviously, because I, I've got a lot of experience in helicopters, I feel comfortable. But yes, I would go get my fixed-wing stuff, and I, I want to, and I plan to. But I think... I mean, maybe I can speak on it more when I'm an airplane pilot, but I think helicopters are safer, uh, just because there's yeah, more options. And also, too. being being able to see like when you're coming in for landing, or I guess when you're taking off, or just anything is important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, also, yeah. one more shout-out before we go. Uh, shout-out your boyfriend's Instagram, because... Honestly, he has some of the best artwork I, I think I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm uh, not being like, uh, yeah. I'm not just saying that. I'm I'm so serious. He has, like I saw on your Instagram today, he has incredible artwork. Is it up for, yeah, look at that. If, it, if you guys are looking at the podcast, <laughs> uh, there's this really beautiful painting behind Michelle. Are, are there any of those up for sale? Uh,
1: so he's, um, um, right now he's just trying to paint a bunch so that, he can, um, uh, so that he can put it on like maybe an art show. Because he's been requested to have art shows before and in the beginning when he was painting, he didn't, he didn't plan to paint. He just kind of... The funny story behind it is that I did my ATP back home uh, in Sweden and we had an open floor plan with a kitchen and a living room and um, he wasn't allowed to make any noise. No TV, no, like, video games, anything. So, um, and we needed a painting for home. So, we just tried to paint. Wait,
0: why wasn't he allowed to make noise?
1: Because I couldn't concentrate.
0: (laughs) Oh, while you were studying. Okay, so that was your agreement with him.
1: Yeah, so, and we also needed a painting. And everything that I liked was super expensive. So, we're like, oh, let's just paint something ourselves. So, I was thinking, you know, just splash it out, like, buy a canvas and splash. And uh, so I bought all this color and we sat down one night and um, colored or painted and he was really good. And I was like, have you done this before? And he was like, no. I'm just like cluttering. <laughs> like This looks really good. So um, I told him to that he needed to make the painting and he made a painting that we were just going to have for ourselves. And then um, he thought it was really like meditating to paint and then people that came to our house or apartment they were like this is really good can we buy this and uh, so he started you know the first painting he sold was like we did like a little auction and then he just continued and but it was always somebody who ordered something you know like oh I want this I want that and so he made a painting he sold it then he made the next one and he sold it so then when he was requested to have an art show he never had anything to show so now he's trying to just save up a little bit and then hopefully he can show it
0: yeah i mean honestly he could sell some of those for like an outrageous amount they are incredible artwork um it's funny because
1: i just requested him so the first painting i asked him to do was actually for of a helicopter and he never did so that's what he's working on now he's doing a one with a helicopter and some palm trees and stuff like
0: that. Uh, so when uh, when that's done, send me a picture of it and I'll post it on uh, the Chopper Talk Instagram. Um, well, but
1: his, his Instagram name is Andy N Art, so it's A N D Y N A R T.
0: Okay. Yeah. Andy N and Art. You guys go check it out. Um, I will leave the link in the description of the YouTube video. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on. This was so fun. Um, You are one of my best friends. I'm so grateful for you. Uh, And everyone, you know, just hold each other uh, near and dear. Um, Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Uh, What we do is very fun. And we've got great memories. But we never know when... Uh it is our time so just uh tread lightly and try to have fun and enjoy your life and that's what we're doing right now. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: Thank
0: you, Devin. Bye. Bye.